We are talking this morning about power. The title is, Am I Significant? Am I Powerful? Am I Significant? We are fascinated by power in our culture. We watch, think about the TV shows and the movies that you watch. They're about people of significance. They're about people of power. TV shows are always about doctors and lawyers and military and White House. And, and, and this, you rarely see TV shows wrapped around the exciting journey of a salesman or, or a, a, a realtor or a pastor. Or something. I mean, yeah, realtors. Yeah, go realtors. So, so I mean, it's, we're, just, we're just so fascinated by the powerful, by that which our world says, this is, this is what significance is. We are fascinated by it because we want it. We want power. We want to live lives that are significant. We want to live lives that have influence, that, that make a difference in this world. We we cheer for the underdog who is oppressed under someone who is negatively powerful. We, we cheer for the, for the underdog who goes up against the powerful. That's why a nation cheered when, when Tracy Porter caught that ball in the fourth quarter and took it down for a touchdown. Woohoo! The whole nation except for one little state really cheered uh, that little <laughs> moment there when the powerful Colts were taken down last week. That was less than a week ago. Can you believe it? It's amazing to me. But, uh, but there's, there's something about we're fascinated by power and we want it and it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to want power. It's a good thing to want power over our mistakes, over our sin, over the, the, the tendency to, to continue to make these, these uh, negative decisions in our lives. We want power over this stuff. We want to leave a strong legacy for our kids, etc. It's okay to want power. Today, we're looking at power and asking the question, am I significant? Am I powerful? We're in, in, a, in a, taking a whole year to look at the whole shebang, 2010, the entire thing, and so far all we've looked at is the first tab in the binder that hopefully you've received. The first tab is called Exodus, and it's basically the first half of the Old Testament story. That The Old Testament story is broken up into two sections, the Exodus and the Exile. We'll start to look at the Exile section in a couple weeks, but the Exodus part is basically a journey where the, the nation of Israel escalated in their prominence and their prestige and their power. It is a period of time where the nation was started, it was liberated, it became uh, voluminous, and then it was liberated from slavery. Voluminous? Uh, numerous. And, and, and it just kind of, it is a season of prosperity as, as the nation of Israel climbed and climbed and climbed and climbed to the pinnacle of its greatest leader, its most powerful leader, a man who expanded the kingdom to the biggest that it have, had ever been, the man who identified Jerusalem as the capital, a city, a location that remains central to the whole shebang story, a man that was written about that he was a, he was a man after God's own heart, a man that the followers of God would say someday there is a Messiah, a Redeemer, who would come, and that person would be in the line of this person. It would be like this person who's the most powerful person that the nation of Israel had ever known. Last week we talked about Ruth, the story of Ruth and Naomi, and that God rescued them, 
saved them for a purpose. You don't have to go there, but I'm just going to read a verse with you here. Uh, at the very end of the book of Ruth, Naomi took the child that at the end of this story, they, uh, uh, her daughter, Ruth, gave birth to a child, laid him on her lap and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, or really a grandson, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. King David, the most powerful person in the Old Testament story. He, was, he reigned as king for 40 years from the ages of about 30 to 70 and, and, and an incredibly powerful man. Now, why would God spend so much time in Scripture talking about David? 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, uh, 1 Chronicles, all the Psalms are, are predominantly from David. Why is there so much about this person, David? Because we can relate to him about as much as we can relate to President Obama deciding which tie he's going to wear before he walks up into Air Force One and takes this jet that is his over to a place where he's going to give a speech before millions of people uh, internationally. We can relate to David about as much as we can relate to that kind of life. We can't relate to the power that David had. But I think God tells us this story and invites us into this because he knows we're fascinated by power and that he has a lot to teach us about power and significance through the person and the story of King David. That's what we're going to do for our time here. And I invite you to pray with me as we launch into this. Father, I believe that, that each one of us desires power. Maybe that's not a word that we're comfortable with, but we desire to be significant, to, to have places of influence. You have given us authority in some area of our lives. If we're parents, we have authority in that place. If we're uh, in business where we've got people reporting to us, we have authority, we have power, whether we like it or not, and we want to do well with that. Teach us, God, through the person of David here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let me ask you, with regard to power, who would you say is more powerful? Bradgelina or Billy Graham? Who's more powerful? Who's more powerful? Princess Diana or Mother Teresa? You may remember in 1997, those two powerful women died in the same week. August, September, 1997. Within seven days, those two women died. And you may remember who got the overwhelming amount of media through that. What, what does power, what does significance mean? What, the point I want to make here the, the, today, and really kind of go after this, I think this is so clear in the story of David, is that there are different kinds of power. I really want to separate it out into two different kinds of power. There's earthly power, that's Bragelina, and that's Princess Diana, and there's spiritual power. Earthly power and spiritual power. Earthly power, that's the one that we can most instantly recognize. That's the one that we're measured by. That's the one that is, is so easy to identify. This person has it. This person doesn't. It's the way our world, our culture works. It has to do with wealth and fame and prestige and happiness and health and, and all of the outward ways that we that we become significant in this city, in the lives that we're living in. It's this earthly, outward power. And it's easy to identify. Spiritual power, however, is much more difficult to identify. Much more to identify in other people, 
and to identify in ourselves. And the, and the definition I want to go after with regards to spiritual power comes from a transition of power in Israel's story that, that we looked at a couple weeks ago. When Moses freed the people from slavery, he was not the person to lead the people into the promised land. That task was passed on to a young leader named Joshua. And there's an entire book that we didn't get to look at, great book, that, that tells the story of Joshua leading the people into the promised land. And the first chapter in that book has God saying to Joshua, inspiring him, encouraging him with two words, be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. And God goes on and it says, and I will tell you once again, be strong and courageous. Spiritual power is strength and courage. It's this internal strength and courage. We say this is a safe place to visit and a dangerous place to stay. The dangerous part is that when we surrender our lives to Christ and we decide we are going to go after an, an intimate, authentic relationship with Christ, and what we say around here is that we go after the seven sonawats, that, okay, uh, I'm in, now I'm ready, so now what? What happens? These seven different pieces are about getting deeper into a dangerous journey with God, that when we do that, it becomes a dangerous journey that requires courage and strength and spiritual power. So, let's look at the story of David and find out how his earthly power and his spiritual power interacted in his journey, okay? Now, we're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 16. That's where we're going to get started. Samuel is the book that follows the book of Ruth. So it's easy to find. We finished in Ruth last week, and we're in 1 Samuel chapter 16. It's named Samuel because there was a prophet that God called, named Samuel, who was at this point to identify the new king, to identify who was going to be the new king. And God told Samuel, go to this household, and one of their boys is going to be the new king. I'm looking first in verse 6. 1 Samuel 16, verse 6. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Eliab was a big, strong, strapping, handsome, earthly, powerful, clearly visible, I mean, uh, uh, person. It's, it's, it's just like, it's, like, look at me. Look at me. It's, just, it's that kind of a look. And so it's so obvious to Samuel, this must be the new king. You're not supposed to laugh when I... Okay, so, so Samuel looked at Eliab and said, this must be the one that God has chosen. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So instead of like me being Eliab, it's more like, like Marsh. Okay, no, just kidding. Okay, just kidding. Here, here what, what, what is so clear in here is that God is saying there is, an, there is an earthly power that is so visible, but God is saying, I don't, I'm not limited by that. I see something more than that in this young man, David. I see in his heart a strength and a courage. That's the person that I want to be king. And regardless of your earthly power situation, 
Rest assured that your God knows the potential for strength and courage that is in your heart. He knows what you are capable of. The spiritual power that He wants to pour inside of you. Now this story, here in 1 Samuel uh, uh, chapter 16, it is followed in chapter 17 by perhaps the most famous story in the Old Testament. The story of little David and big Goliath. Who doesn't know the story of David and Goliath? David takes the little stone, puts it in the slingshot, hits Goliath in the center, kills him, boom, he's dead. They cheer, everything is fabulous. Yay, David. Yay, David. They celebrate, it's awesome. David's the man. And if you're familiar with this story or familiar with Scripture, it may be a natural thought that from this point on, David grows into his powerful position as king of Israel. Is that what it seems like? David wins this battle, and then boom, it's this, it's this journey that grows him into this powerful person. Does he continue on an incline of power from this point? Do you remember? Does anyone remember? The answer is no. Things get really hard for David. And so often we, we, we skip over this part of his story. Things get really hard for him. David is this young man. He is the harpist for the king. The king is King Saul. Saul is the one who watched David kill Goliath and save the Israelite people. Saul watched that happen. Saul is the one who asked David to play his harp. And this would soothe Saul and he would take care of him in this way. And more than three times, the scripture says, after 1 Samuel 17, more than three times, Saul, with his insane jealousy of David, picked up a spear and threw it at him while he's playing a harp. Picked up a spear and threw it. I mean, this, this, I mean, I've seen Blues Brothers. I know that when, when, when you're playing music, things can be thrown at you. I know that. that, that kind of, I, I played in a band. I played in, in bars when, at, sometimes. I, I've had some things thrown at me, but never a spear. This is incredible. More than three times. David has to run for his life. This young man who knows God has his hand on him, he has to run for his life. And let me paint a picture of how low this gets for David. Turn, if you will, to chapter 21. Verse 10. Chapter 21, verse 10, still in 1 Samuel. That day David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. Gath is a city. Do you know what the significance of Gath is? It is the hometown of a famous character in the Old Testament. The character's name is Goliath. This is Goliath's hometown. He goes to the the, the, the mommy and daddy and brothers and sister area of the big bad Goliath that he took down. He has to go to their city because he is not invited, accepted anywhere else. He is so desperate. He is such a low. He goes to Goliath's hometown, a Philistine enemy town. 
But the servants of Achish said to him, Isn't this David, the king of the, of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands, and David is tens of thousands. This is the song that drove Saul crazy. It made him insane. It made him insane. Stop singing that song. You could, you, I could see that. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So he, listen to this. So he pretended to be insane in their presence, and while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. He is at such a low point, he is oh, pretending to be a madman in order to be accepted and embraced and taken care of by the hometown of his enemy, Goliath. He's at a low spot. And this isn't just a bad week. This goes on for years. He continues to hide and run from Saul who's chasing after him. He's hiding in caves. After a while, he actually gathers a group of... He's, he's a leader. He's a, 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 and when there's a leader, when there's someone of influence, people will gather around that person. And some men had gathered around David. They became uh, his, his team, his group, if you will, while he was hiding in caves, etc., and they, ended, they landed in the city called Ziklag. And I don't know why anyone would call a city Ziklag, but that's, that's, we read that in Scripture, so that's what it is. It's true. And so this is where David was hanging out. At one point, David and his men, they went off, and while they were gone, the Amalekites came and horribly laid out their city, Ziklag. Terrible, terrible, devastating situation there. So David and his men come back to Ziklag. Jump with me, if you will, to chapter 30. Chapter 30, verse 3, When David and his men came to Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. They are at a point of zero earthly power. Zero. No strength whatsoever left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. Even his friends, the guys that had faithful friends, they're uh, thinking of stoning him. He's at the lowest of the lowest of the lowest places. And then here's the verse. Here's the verse. But David found strength in the Lord his God. It was in that place that David found strength in the Lord his God. When earthly power is at its very lowest place, that is the, is the quickest, most distraction-free journey to spiritual power. Because there's nothing else left. When, when you, when we are at a place where earthly power is knocked down, as it was in David's story, for you, when, when your wife says she's going to leave you, when your husband is, is unfaithful and, and, and chooses someone else to, to, to pursue, when your kids make terrible decisions that just break your heart, when you lose your home, as a significant representation of earthly power, when you lose your job after 15 years of faithful service, 
boom, it's just taken out. The earthly power goes lower and lower and lower. It is at that place when you have the quickest path to spiritual power. It is in that place that David found strength in the Lord his God. So often in our lives, God does his best work when we are at a low place in terms of earthly power. He has access to areas of our hearts. Be encouraged by that. God has, has, does amazing work at that place. What's so fascinating about this story here, 1 Samuel chapter 30, is at this point when David says, when, and the story says that David found strength in the Lord his God, this is where things started to turn around for him. Right here. It was right after this that Saul, the one who's been pursuing him, gets taken out of the picture. David becomes the king, the rightful king of Israel. He uh, amasses this incredible army and he expands the territory and brings Israel to a point of strength and wealth that, that, uh, that was its very peak as a nation. He was at the very peak of economic, political, religious power, David was. Earthly power to the highest place as we move through the chapters of 2 Samuel until we get to 2 Samuel chapter 11. When David walks out on the rooftop. 2 Samuel chapter 11. Verse 2, one evening David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. Again, he is at the pinnacle of power. From the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Then she went home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. The whole story changes right here. The whole story changes. This leads to this path of deception. It leads eventually to the murder of her husband. And, and David gets caught up in this downfall of his spiritual and earthly power. The significance of this moment of David on the rooftop making this decision cannot be overstated. The nation of Israel was never the same. Never the same. Now David... We have to give him fair credit. He responded well to it. He was challenged by Nathan, and he responded well to it. He repented, and he even wrote two psalms about this situation, one of which was Psalm 51, where he says, Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. He repented in a way that models how we can and should repent when we make mistakes. He models that beautifully. But make no mistake, Israel would never be the same as a result of this. There are consequences to our sin, to our decisions. So what I said before with regard to 1 Samuel chapter 30, when David was at his lowest place in terms of earthly power, he had the quickest access to spiritual power. And conversely, when David 
was at his highest place in terms of earthly power, his spiritual power vanished. His ability to have strength and courage in that moment was gone. And the warning, I think, for us is when we do experience earthly power, which most or all of us desire, go after, work hard for, when we attain that, that can be the hardest time in our lives to experience spiritual power. The warning on that. That's why money is such a big deal. That's why cash is such a big deal. That's why Jesus talked about it so much. It's why we talk about in our Sanawats, letter F is freely give so that we can let go of that part because money is earthly power. It, money is power. And so if we cannot let go of that and freely give towards the kingdom of God, it will suck the spiritual power out of our lives. It will suck the, the opportunity for strength and courage out of your story. And all you'll be left with is the power to take care of problems that can be fixed with money. And there are some problems that can be fixed with money. But the ones that hurt the deepest are the ones that have nothing to do with money. And it's in those places that we want spiritual power. We want strength. We want courage. What happens is, I think, I get mixed up between earthly power and spiritual power. I get confused with those things, and they start to get blurry. The lines between them get blurry, and we think they're the same thing. This is what happened in the New Testament when Jesus arrived, is that the, the Jews, the ones who were waiting for the Redeemer, the Rescuer, the Messiah, they assumed this Redeemer, this Messiah would be in the line of David, would be as powerful or more powerful than King David, that this person would have earthly power. That's why Jews in the story, and many to this day, conclude, believe that Jesus is not the Messiah because He had no political, no economic, no earthly power. He was a poor carpenter. How could that be the Messiah? But Jesus, though he had low earthly power, had enormous spiritual power. Jesus models this, this discrepancy this, between earthly power and spiritual power. He models what it means to have this even without this. Maybe even because he was without this. Now, what I'm not saying is that earthly power is evil. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that earthly power and spiritual power are always inversely proportional. That when one's high, the other one will be low. When one's low, the other one will be high. Absolutely not. Not saying that at all. Because I think that as we continue with David's story, there's evidence later on in the last part of his life where he, he was experiencing both. And I think he was experiencing both in the last 10 years of his life. He ruled for 40 years had these kind of ups and downs and these experiences, in the last 10 years, he, I think, had a balance of both because he spent the last 10 years of his life collecting finances and materials to prepare his son Solomon, who we'll look at next week, to prepare his son to build the temple of God, the mighty temple of God in Jerusalem. And in order to understand the significance of that, I need to back up to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Back up just a little bit, just a few verses. 
David longed to build the temple of God in Jerusalem. First verse here in chapter 7. After the king had settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Nathan is the one who's very close to him, who challenged him about, about Bathsheba. Here I am. This is what David said to Nathan. Here I am, living in a palace of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. The ark wasn't in Jerusalem. It was somewhere else. Everyone was afraid of it. It was somewhere else. The, the ark of the covenant. The ark. Dun, 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 dun. That ark was not where it should be, was not in the city of God. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it for the Lord is with you. That night the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Jump down to verse 11 if you will. Second half of verse 11. The Lord declares to you, again, this is the word of God to Nathan that he's supposed to say to David. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. In other words, David, you are not going to build this temple. It's not going to be you. It's going to be your son. And this would have been very difficult for David. He had the earthly power to do it. He would have wanted the power and the legacy and the significance to be the one who builds the temple of God. And he had to back off from that and prepare. He spent the last 10 years of his life preparing so that his son can do it. I think that the way we can handle both earthly power and spiritual power is to hang on loosely to earthly power. Is to be willing to let it go if that's what God calls us to. When we get in danger is when we hang on to it and then we let go of the spiritual power piece because we just want to hang on to the earthly power. I think the only way we can have both is if we hang on loosely to the blessings that God gives us. One way for you to kind of search your heart on this is how do you respond when people that you're close to succeed beyond you? family member, brother, sister, sibling rivalries, uh, your spouse, your kids, a co-worker, a friend. How do you respond when someone attains earthly power beyond you? And sometimes that is the most difficult when it's in your area of interest, when it's in your field, when it's a place that you want to go in terms of earthly power and someone close to you gets there. What's your response to that? Is it jealousy that means we're hanging on to earthly power. Or can you be encouraging towards someone else in that journey? As David had to say, I want to set my son up for success. Can you set others up for success in terms of earthly power? That will allow you to have both. I believe. I believe that's what David found out at the end of his life. So, some of these questions are listed in, in the sheet, um, in the sheet that uh, represents this week. But how would you rate your earthly power? I mean, maybe in a, on the way home or in a small group journey, whatever, it'd be a good conversation. Where do you see yourself in terms of earthly power? Are you at a good place, a satisfactory place? Where's that? 
And then secondly, how do you rate where you are in terms of spiritual power? How are you doing with that? With regard to, to experiencing strength and courage that comes as a result of an intimate, authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. Where is that? Where is the spiritual power for you? Because again, we get those two things mixed up. And what we, what we think we're going after and need is earthly power, but when, when our soul's need is the spiritual power. And we can hurt ourselves so deeply by going after one when what we need is the other. Margaret Thatcher said that, that uh, being powerful is like being a woman. If you have to tell people you are, then you're not. <laughs> and so, with regard to power, that if, let's not waste our time trying to convince those around us how powerful we are, how earthly powerful we are. We can spin our wheels and, and step on people and go after something that will hurt our hearts. Instead of that, may we go after a spiritual power that is the result of having a restored relationship with the main character in the whole shebang. We are the second character, that we would have a restored relationship with God, the lover, the pursuer, the designer, the creator. That restored relationship gives us the spiritual power, the strength and the courage to get through another day, another week. And if there's earthly power that gets uh, attached to the side of that, be blessed, enjoy it. But let's not have that take over our desire for spiritual power. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would make sense out of what I just said. God, I, I, just, I just pray that as we sit here that we can talk about these scriptures and these moments in, in your story. But God, that, that you would have this moment right here, this half hour right here, that you would penetrate our, our hearts and our resistance and our our. our, our the differences on how we understand these words, God, that you would translate it to have meaning in our lives, that there is a part of each one of our lives where we are going after earthly power with so much energy and fervor, and you are wanting us to translate that, to shift all that, all that drive and energy towards spiritual power. God, whatever that is, would you make that clear to us here this morning and inspire us as we go into this week? to seek after the spiritual power that we would be men and women after your own heart as David was. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.